Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now obviously pregnant. Okay, a few things uh, get my attention here. Number one, um, never ask a chick if she's pregnant. Okay, I did that once, right? And I regret it, right? I learned my lesson. How are you pregnant? No, Tom, I'm just fat. Thanks for reminding me. Oh, no. <laughs> Lord, rapture, go now, you know. Go, <laughs> rapture. You know? Don't do it. Uh, I did it, and my wife and I haven't spoken for months since. And uh, so, but that first thing, I just love here in verse five, right, how Luke, the author here, I just love how he doesn't go there. He goes, listen, she's obviously pregnant. Like, I'm not going to ask her, you know, because only an idiot would do that. I'm not going to ask her, but she obviously is. Uh, you can ask her, but I'm not going to. I love that about this. I just find that so funny. Uh, uh, secondly, the other thing that captures my attention is this. What captures my attention is why does Luke seem or think that it's necessary to start off the Christmas story at the time of somebody else? Why does Luke use the energy and the resource available to him, why does he think it's necessary that he should start off the Christmas story looking at somebody else's time? Why does he deem it necessary that he would start the story of Jesus, the most wonderful time of the year, why would he start off that story telling us about some other guy's time? Why is Luke trading lifetimes, right? Why does Luke seem it's necessary? So in order for us to understand why the Christmas story starts off at the time of somebody else, we need to go back in time, right, and find out why the most wonderful time of the year coexists with that guy's time. Okay, a little bit of history. At that time, the world was ruled by the Roman Empire. The Romans had done something actually quite amazing before the uh, uh, existence of electricity, before the internet, before mobile phones, before printing, they had established an empire that stretched from Spain to India. Really, it was a leadership miracle. The one problem with empire, though, is empire wants power, right? All empire wants is power. And to get power, you need to subjugate people. To subjugate people, you simply take their money, right? At that time, the tax rate was 80%, right? So you subjugate people because if you can get people's land possessions and money, you have the people. If the people don't give you their land, possessions and money, then you kill them, right? And that's how you build empire. For example, um, the Caesar was the one who controlled the empire, then under the Caesar, there was all these generals, right, that would control different uh, uh, states within the nation. Uh, for, for example, there was this one general called General Germanicus, right, and he oversaw the Indian part. This guy was a racist, right? He thought that if you weren't the same color of all the people in Rome, then you should be my slave. They say that General Germanicus had 30 million slaves under him. There was this general called uh, um, General Pompey. He had 12 million slaves. There was a general called General Titus. They say that for fun, he crucified people. For fun, right? That's what's happening at that time. Uh, there's this uh, general called uh, uh, General uh, Cassius. And General Cassius was uh, overlooking the, the Palestine, the uh, Jewish region, right? The, 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 the Israel region. And he comes into this town called Magdala. And he walks in and he 
now makes Magdala the, the uh, central hub for all the Roman soldiers. So he walks into this village of 2,000, uh, of, of, of this village, sorry, and he says, this is now the central hub of all the Roman soldiers. He tells the Roman soldiers, this town is yours. Everything in it is your possession. Not just material, but the people as well. The people are your possession, including women and children. Can you see where I'm going here this morning? Jesus has this disciple. She's a girl. Her name is Mary Magdalene. Magdalene's not her last name. Just as you would call someone born in Australia an Australian, someone who was born in Magdala, you would call them a Magdalene. So Mary of Magdalene was one of Jesus' disciples. Potentially, Mary, since she was born, could have been the property of thousands of men. She's one of Jesus' disciples. There's this other general called General Varus. General Varus walks into this village of 2,000 people called Sapirus. And he has this coin with him, and he tells the people, say the inscription on this coin. Now, I think about coins, I think about empire. Uh, they, they didn't have the printing press, right? So if you wanted to uh, send that propaganda to the whole world, right, to the whole Roman Empire, what you do is you would print what you want on a coin because coins were used every day to buy and sell. Coins traveled fast, coins traveled far. So if you wanted to tell the whole world uh, uh, your new thought, you would print it on a coin so that everybody knew. There's this guy named Julius Caesar. He becomes the first Caesar and he thinks all of a sudden that he is God incarnate, right? So he is this man, God. So in order for the whole Roman Empire to know that he is God, prince on a coin, Caesar is Lord, you all must bow down and worship me. So back to General Varus. General Varus walks into this Jewish village called Sapirus. Now a Jew could not acknowledge anyone else but God, right? They didn't bow down to anyone but God. God is Lord, right? Yahweh. So General Varus knows that if he comes in with this coin and the people won't say that Caesar is Lord, he can kill him. So he walks into this little village of 2,000 people. Say, he says, say what's on this coin, They say, no, we can't. He says, okay, and he kills them. That happened in 14 AD. Fun fact, 800 meters away from Sapirus is this little village called Nazareth. Potentially in Nazareth, you could have had a 14-year-old Jesus hearing the screams of 2,000 people only 800 meters away. This is all happening at the time of Caesar Augustus. Why is Luke telling us this? Something about Augustus. Augustus was the son of Julius Caesar, right? The first Caesar who was God. Funny, uh, uh, Julius Caesar then dies. So God dies, right? In order to have uh, a full power of the whole world, you need both political power and religious power. Caesar had it. So to keep up with the Kardashians, Augustus had to have both political power and religious power. So he comes up with this thought, well, if I am the son of Julius who was God, I'm his son, then I must be the son of God. So at the time of Caesar Augustus, Caesar Augustus was claiming to be the son of God. After Caesar Augustus was a guy named Tiberius. He was the guy that oversaw Pontius Pilate who crucified Jesus. After Tiberius was a psycho named Caligus. After Caligus was a mega psycho named Nero. Google the guy, right? He's crazy. Um, after Nero was this Caesar called Caesar Domitian. Once again, to have uh, to rule the world, you need both political and religious power. So Domitius comes up with this idea that he must be God too, right? Everyone must be God who's a Caesar, right? So he becomes God. He actually makes this new rule that in order to buy and sell, right? So in order to buy a loaf of bread for your family, you first have to give an offering to Caesar Domitian. Now, how do you uh, uh, control that, right? In an uh, in a, uh, empire so big, how do you know who was given the offering to the Caesar and who hasn't. 
So Caesar Domitian comes up with this idea that he's going to make lots of these ecclesia. Ecclesia is just the olden version of the word church. So Caesar Domitian makes all these churches throughout the Roman Empire, and as people come and give their offering to Caesar Domitian before they buy and sell, they mark the person either on their forehead or in the palm of their hand. The Jews didn't like this. They called Caesar Domitian the beast that comes from land and sea. So before you could go and purchase your bread for your family, you first had to go to church to get the mark of the beast. This is all happening at the time of Caesar Augustus. A little bit about Augustus, right? He said that he was to bring peace to all men. That he was the one to bring salvation. That he was the one that was going to bring goodwill to men. That he would free humanity from fear. At that time, Caesar Augustus is proclaiming all these things. Yet the very thing that he did was quite the opposite. He would get peace by war. He would give salvation to those who would give him something. He would give goodwill when he felt like it. He certainly didn't free anyone from fear. So why is it that Luke, before the Christmas story is about to be told, why is he comparing the time of... Why is he starting this story at the time of of Caesar? That's my question this morning. And I think for a few things, number one, I think he's maybe uh, starting the story off to say, hey, listen, there's a new king coming, right? There's a better king coming. I think he's reminding us that that what the world offers is simply a substitute for the real thing. I think he's saying, I think he's starting the story off with this guy because he's saying, listen, this guy is not the real deal. You know, this guy claims to be the son of God, but God is doing something different. Have you ever gotten a gift? that you didn't like? Rhetorical question, hands down. Oh, Amy, yeah, hand down, down, Amy. We'll talk to Brett after, okay? We'll, we'll, we'll talk to Brett after. <laughs> like, I'm, what I'm asking is this, have you ever gotten a gift from someone, you unwrapped it, and you looked at it, and you thought, well, you're a moron for getting me this. <laughs> like, have you ever gotten a gift, and you're just like, this gift, it, this brings no value to my life whatsoever. Uh, I remember, I had an experience like that. I was 18, 2000 something. I was at my parents' house and um, I got this big gift from my grandma. My grandma had given me this big box. And because uh, we all know that the best presents come in big boxes, right? So I'm like, oh, yeah, big box. Uh, 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 big box is so cool. I start unwrapping my big box and I pull out of my gift wrap, my, my, my big present, I pull out a pink and purple polka dot suitcase. Now, that's what I always wanted, right? <laughs> Now, you have to know something about me. I'm the eldest of six boys. What that means is this, that I am the pinnacle of masculinity in my house, right? <laughs> right? It means that I am both justice and conviction at the same time, right? That's who I am in my, in my home. I am the eldest, right? It's, it's what I do. So I pull out this pink and purple polka dot, and my brothers start laughing at me. Do you know what that does to a, to a soldier, right? I'm like, oh, Grandma, seriously? seriously and my brothers are laughing we pull it out and I noticed oh, it's a bit heavy and I shook it and there was something in it I'm like oh, this, this was a gift to distract me off the real gift I'm like yes so I open it up and out pops another little gift and I'm like yeah sucked in boys I got that was just a, that was just a joke didn't get me but it got you right <laughs> I pull out this gift and it was a little bit smaller but, but, but still it was a box and I'm like all things all good things come in boxes and so I get out my box and I start opening up my box And I pull out this thing and I'm looking at it thinking, what is this? 
And so I turned to my mum and I said, Mum, what is this? And she looks at it and she says, well, I think, I think that's a case for jewellery and makeup. <laughs> I'm confused and I open it up and I think to myself, but this is way too small for all of my makeup. <laughs> I think to myself, well, this is a dumb gift. This doesn't bring any value to my life. Like, what was she thinking? You know, did she think I was gender confused? I don't know. Like, I'm like looking at go, oh man, the gift had so much expectation, then it let me down. I was so excited by what I was going to get, but then I felt disappointment, right? I was so excited unwrapping this thing. There was so much potential, but then when I got it, it didn't give me what I was hoping it would give me. See, I think the reason that one of the reasons that Luke is comparing the time of Caesar to the time of Jesus is he's comparing the gift that each man brings to the table. See, gift that Caesar offered was peace, but he gave war. The gift that Caesar offered was freedom, but gave slavery. The gift that Caesar offered was consistency, but gave anxiety. The gift that Caesar offered was provision, but gave poverty. The gift that Caesar offered was pleasure, but gave pain. The, the gift that Caesar offered gave forgiveness, uh, was forgiveness, but he gave condemnation. I think the reason that Luke begins the story by comparing the most wonderful time of the year to the time of Caesar is because Luke is saying, don't be fooled by what the world has to offer. It's all empty promises, but God is doing something new. I just think that as a, as a church, right, we need more but God moments in our life. You know, my marriage is going through a hard time, but God. I looked at my bank account and I got stressed, but God. You know, I couldn't get a job, but God. You know, I found it hard to connect with people, but God. You know, uh, the doctor said I had this, but God. I think we need more but God moments in our life. And so Luke begins comparing these two sons of God because you know, the original readers knew exactly who this was and they knew exactly what he was like, right? What I love about this story, about the most wonderful time of the year is Jesus really is the gift that keeps on giving. Scratch his end after 25 years, <laughs> right? <laughs> but Jesus keeps on giving. Whatever you need him to be, he is, right? There's this one time where this guy named Moses, he encounters God and God asks him to do something good, right? Asks him to do something great. But Moses begins getting self-conscious, right? And instead of saying, God, yeah, I'll do that, he starts making up excuses like, oh God, but God, I can't speak properly. You know, God, I'm not wearing the right shoes. You know, God, I've got the wrong hat on. I've got an iPhone, it does nothing, I can't help God. You know, all these kind of things. He begins making excuses, you know, uh, I got, who do I tell people that you are? Who do I t- tell people that I am? He starts making all these excuses up when God asks him to do something great. What I love about God is this. God responds exactly the same way every time. God says this, Moses... He says, Moses, I am. That's how he responds to Moses. He says, Moses, I am. Every time Moses had an excuse, but God, I don't have this, Moses said, uh, God said, Moses, it doesn't matter if that's not you. I am. 
everything, Moses, that you need, I am. Everything that you lack, I have. Everything that, 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 that you're going through, but God. I love that God is whatever we need Him to be. That God, through His Son, Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, can become all things to you and I. You know, there's been so many people throughout human history that I love that God isn't a one-size-fits-all, right? He's not a one-size-fits-all present. I love that God throughout history has been many things to many people. For example, for Adam, he was creator. For Noah, he was the master builder. For Abraham, he was provider. For Joseph, he was forgiveness. For Rahab, he was new beginnings. For Ruth, he was faithfulness. For David, he was conqueror. For Mary, he was hope. For Peter, he was clarity. For Paul, he was redeemer. For St. Augustine, he was inspiration. For C.S. Lewis, he was the great author. For Elizabeth Elliot, he was deliverer. For Nate Satan, he was the reason. For Eric Liddell, he was purpose. For Mrs. Bramley, the lady who basically started this church, he was belonging. God throughout the ages has been so many different things to so many different people because no matter what you need, it can be found in Him. At that time, Caesar Augustus is giving out oppression. Caesar Augustus is giving out pain. Caesar Augustus is giving out anxiety. Caesar Augustus is giving out stress. Caesar Augustus is giving out inconsistency at that time and everyone knew it. But Luke begins writing the story by saying, you know this guy, how the world seems to be giving all this stuff? Let me tell you, someone right now is pregnant with something new. You know what? When life gives you a bad rap, let me encourage you, church. Start to become pregnant with the things of God. When life seems to give you a bad gift, find yourself becoming pregnant with the things of God. When the Caesars of the world start telling you that it can't be done, start getting pregnant with the things of God. When Caesar, at that time in your life, when all you can see is pain and death, darkness and destruction, become getting pregnant with things of light, life and increase. Become getting pregnant with the things of God, church. <laughs> you know what I love about the story? What I love about the story? No one ever preaches on Caesar. Because of this, we forget about Caesar. Just in a matter of sentences. You know, when you start to become pregnant with the things of God, those things in your life that are maybe distracting you, those things in your life that are bringing you down, they very easily are forgotten because you begin to get pregnant with the things of Jesus, with the things of God. No longer is your focus on inconsistency, but your focus is on faith. No longer is your focus on stress, but your focus is on freedom. No longer is your focus on ill health, but your focus is on healing. No longer is your focus on anxiety, but your focus is on a word that's opposite to anxiety, right? When you begin to get pregnant with the things of God, something happens in your world. Woo! Let me tell you the reason why Luke starts off the most greatest, the most wonderful time in the world with at the time of Caesar. Can I tell you? Can I tell you the reason that he starts it off? It's because of this. When life throws you a fake king, 
It's time to replace it with the King of Kings. Can I tell you what I did with the gift that my grandma gave me? Can I tell you? I'm gonna anyway. Do you know what I did with the gift that I didn't like? Had so much expectation. It told me, you know, the gift said, Tim is gonna be a good gift, but it wasn't. It's horrible, I didn't like it. It had no value. I'll tell you what I did. I'll tell you what I didn't do. I didn't call my grandma up and say, Hey, what's the go with this? This is useless. Better luck next year, right? Give me a better gift. You owe me two, right? I didn't call her up and get angry. Here we go. I didn't hold a grudge until next year. I didn't do any of that. You know what I did? I got it. And then I gave it away to someone. I gave it away. That's what I did. I gave it away. When life gives you a bad rap, give it away. Give it to who? Give it to Jesus, right? Give it to Jesus, right? When life seems to throw stuff at you that you just can't handle, give it away. Give it to Jesus and become pregnant with the things of God. And I'll tell you what, when you do that, you're going to when something kick on the inside, something kick like purpose and power and excitement and future, you know, all those things and it starts lifting you up, lifting your head up. You're no no longer looking down upon yourself, oh, woe is me, but you begin looking up going, God, there is something happening here. Even though Caesar has given me pain, even though Caesar has given me hell, I know that I'm pregnant with heaven in Jesus. Now, why don't we stand this morning, church? Why don't we stand this morning, church? Let me tell you, There might be things happening in your world right now and it seems like that there's Caesars all around you that are trying to bring you down, that are trying to distract you. I'm here to tell you this morning, if you can just get pregnant with the things of God, there's gonna be change in your world. There's gonna be change in your life. In fact, in just a few sentences, you're gonna forget about Caesar altogether and God's gonna do something amazing in your world. Jesus!